This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Hey guys, you have such a treat today. Let me tell you what we are doing. So you're going to get to hear from a new friend of mine, Jay. He is from Kenya and you're going to hear a lot about his story. But let me tell you why we're having him on today. First, we're having him on because I think we need some perspective and perspective comes best for me when I hear other people's stories, when I realize, you know what? I can do hard things because other people do hard things every single day. So I think this is going to be super encouraging for you. Number two, you're going to get to hear the story of something we're really passionate about. We'll tell you more about that at the end. So listen up. You will love Jay's story. Let's go. So it is an honor to have Jay on the on the show today and to get to discuss a little bit about your life and your story. It's so powerful, Jay. I can't wait to hear it from you specifically. Let's start with where you were born and what the context of those early years looked like for you. I was born in a place called Matare. Uh, Matare is in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, all the way in Africa. In like a, a square mile would live like a million people. Like literally wow. houses are, I don't want to say on top of each other, but they are like really next, like tight, tight spaces. Like I had a very big family. Uh, it was an extended family. Matare basically is home. That's where I was uh, born and brought up. Most of the kids there, we didn't have role models growing up. Uh, and reason being, we're in a community where you're born in poverty itself. Like there's a cycle of poverty that you're already born into. My family used to have used to sell something in Kenya we call changa. It's more like liquor. But I was born in, the, in this family where that's that was like the family business. That's what my mom was doing. And it was an illegal thing. It was not allowed. But then that's what she was selling to try and sustain the family. And mom would try and say, hey, you have to help us uh, do this because this is how we're going to get the meal. And so I started being involved in making that even when I was a little kid. And one of my hardest things growing up without having is food. And I usually emphasize food because being in America, I've noticed if there's something that is plenty plenty in this country is food. Every day waking up, you don't even know where your next meal is going to come from. You don't even, even when you get that one meal, you are so grateful. You're so thankful that you have something and you don't even know where the next one is going to come from. So you had a single mother that is still alive today. So tell me about that relationship. Tell me about your siblings. Like what did it look like and what was your home like? My my grandmother, uh, she had nine children. In poverty is the hardest thing that you can have because you, as my grandmother, she didn't have any job. She didn't. She never went to school. Uh, my grandfather died a long time ago. But my grandmother, growing up with nine children, I think five of them were girls. And being in a community like Matare where people don't even get married, most of my aunts, my mom being part of that family, they all had kids outside. My mom and I had a very good relationship. Uh, there's a time in my family, in, in our life, that I had a, a dad who was a stepfather, but then uh, he was not my real father. So at some point when he made some wrong decisions in life, where he did some things that could not, that he could not continue to stay with us. So he left me, my mom, and my brothers with, without anything. And so we started going, going to the streets of Nairobi. Started, we started to beg for food and money. Basically, I became a provider at the age of eight. That came in with a lot of pressure because uh, just imagine people would be waiting in the house for this eight-year-old kid to go and beg and come home with money or with food. 
So if I found anything, they'll all be happy and they'll rejoice. We'd have a meal. But then mm. if we didn't find anything, they'll go to bed hungry. So mm. that pressure came with me thinking, okay, the days that I didn't find anything, I either didn't go home or if I went home, I was so discouraged. And so that led me to do something else. And so when I begged and I didn't find anything, I started stealing and snatching things. And so I became a thief at the age of nine. Well, that did not go so far because I was arrested and I went to prison at that particular age. And being in prison at nine years old was the worst thing that can happen to anybody. And so for me, when I was in prison, I prayed to God for two things. One, to get me out of poverty. And secondly, to get me out of prison. So God came through. Uh, that's a good thing about God. He's a, he's a father who hears and answers our prayers. Not the way we expect, but he does hear all our prayers. And so I, I got out of prison. And so the part of getting out of prison, God fulfilled that. But getting out of poverty was still not easy because I was still in the same neighborhood. I was still in the same family. And so that's when Compassion International came in. And I got a sponsor later on who walked with me the journey of life. And yeah. So let's let's talk about how on earth a boy, a little boy from the slums of Africa ends up in Atlanta at Passion City Church. I would just say, just like we say at Passion, that's a God story. <laughs> After I graduated the program of Compassion, I, I started ministry as a DJ. I started, I became a DJ of one of the biggest gospel group that was then in Kenya. What we were doing was more than just music. It was more reaching out and sharing our testimonies and bringing people to Christ. And even they came to the U.S. for a tour, for a music tour for six months. And then we went back home to Kenya. And then uh, eventually I got a green card. And basically God gave me an opportunity to come and establish what we were doing in Kenya here. And so when I got an opportunity to come to the U.S., I was like, how about I do the same here? among the Africans who are here. Because one thing I realized is that, unfortunately, most of the Africans who are in the U.S., they don't go to church. And so I was like, whatever I, was, I did in Kenya, we can do that. And so that's how I ended up being in the U.S. And specifically in Atlanta, I just love Atlanta. I love the feel of Atlanta. Atlanta there is a multicultural going on in Atlanta. And a lot of Africans are either in Atlanta or close to Atlanta. So Jay, now I'm, I really want to hear your perspective on some things because we're in the midst of a very unique, season. And for a lot of Americans, this is extra hard. They feel like, you know, a lot of people in the world, I shouldn't just say Americans, a lot of people in the world, it feels like there's a loss of anything that's normal. And so I would love to hear just your perspective in this time, you know, from your story about viewing even this season, like what's your view of going through 2020? I'm just going to leave it at that because there's so many facets to 2020. I guess in my lifetime, this is one thing that I would say that this is the hardest season for everybody around the world. Like this is not, this is not one of those things you can say only Africa, only Asia. This is something that has hit the whole world. Like COVID-19 has affected families around the whole world. Now, for me, I would say the things that where your family was based on or how you, your family was, this was the time that your family was exposed, uh, so to speak, or even individually, you're exposed to be, who are you at this when, when crisis hit? Because one thing we have to realize is that this is common. This life happens and stuff would always happen. And uh, for me, in my family, especially anybody with kids, they understand that job will never end. Like so long as you have your children, nothing will change. Those kids will still want to eat. They'll still want to play. They still want to sleep. And for me, that one continued. 
because actually I'm a stay-home dad. I stay home. I stay with my kids on the weekdays, and then uh, during that time I'm able to work on my ministry at home and at the same time travel. And so one of the things that I would say that uh, has taught me is first of all to be thankful. Be thankful for life. It's not obvious that you're gonna be alive the next day. This 2020, there are people who had a lot of dreams, a lot of promises, a lot of things they wanted to do. Right now, they are probably sick or some of them are dead. And that's just a reality around the world. And so every day, be thankful of what you have. Anything that God has given you, be thankful. You have a plate of food, be thankful. There are people who don't have that. And so that is something that I'm, I'm hoping that all of us can be. Also be caring to one another. Like at this particular time, people are trying to, especially when their announcement was made, we noticed that everything on the shelves on supermarkets, on Walmart, everything went away. And so the thing is, we have to be caring for one another. And mm-hmm. uh, that's something that I learned from back home because it, it, we lived as a community back home. And anytime I had something, it was not for myself only. I mentioned uh, we used to live with my grandmother. My grandmother would make a meal. And we know that this is the only meal that we have. And we have kids in our family. But then there's some other kids who would come to visit we don't even know. They probably have food or they don't have food in their, in, their, in their houses. But then my grandmother would share, would make sure that we all get equal. Mm. Even though the other kids are, might go and eat. But because she wasn't sure, she learned like, hey, we have to share. And that's something that maybe during this season we can learn and we can continue to do that. Learn to share. If you have more than what you need, share with your friends. Sometimes whatever you have is just enough. But again, what can you live with? And what can you share with? And so... It's a lot. It's a lot to go through, but uh, basically, 2020 has really taught us a lot. Talk about that some more about Kenya. What do you miss? What do you love about the way people did life there? We lived as a community uh, to start with, uh, and literally, that is how our community lived. One of the things that I I miss about, and something that I learn about our community is that respect and respect. Uh, I start with the elders. Like we personally, I was brought up. To, to respect the elders. If you are my elder, it doesn't matter whether I know you or not, I'll respect you. And this is how they made sure that we respected elders. So if, if I did something wrong in my community and my parents were not around, another elderly person can come and punish me. Wow. I'm going to come and tell my, ma- my mom, oh, actually, your, your son did this and this and this. Oh, don't worry, I punished him. My mom is still going to punish me for that. But what that... You might look at that differently. Being in the U.S., I know that can sound really bad. (laughs) But to me, what that taught me is that I'm not going to misbehave because my parents are not there. I will will behave all the time and respect the elder. We grew up in uh, public transportation. We call them matatu. So when you go, let's say like a bus. When you go to a bus, when I'm seated down, if somebody older or a woman, especially who are pregnant or they have kids and they come in, there's no way I can sit down and they are standing. That one, everybody will be looking at me like, are you serious? And so that has taught me to be like, hey, respect one another, uh, share what you have. And those are some of the things in, in, in my community that, that, that I miss. And so being being op- an open book, we lived in a very tight space. And so there's, 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 there's no secret. There's no like, oh, give me my space. There's like respect one another. And so I miss sharing part. I miss the community part. Talk about community now in your life. Has it been difficult to build close relationships here? What has it been like in the church and with your neighbors and friends to live communally? I'm going to be honest with you. 
community down here is totally different from what I was used to. <laughs> One thing I realized is that in in America, everybody wants to live by themselves. I'm I'm blessed to have very good neighbors. My neighbors, where I live right now, they're really good neighbors because we kind of share each other. Well, we don't share as much, but at least we know each other. Uh, if I need something, I can ask, but it's, but it's still different because uh, for us, we didn't have that personal space. If I needed, if you're my neighbor, I didn't even need to tell you I'm coming. I'll just knock, hey, <laughs> I'm, I'll come in. And so there's, there's that. And so that is something that is different here. And uh, I've noticed here yeah, somebody can be, I can be hungry <laughs> and my neighbor doesn't know. And I, wouldn't, I don't want them to know. And that is so different. Uh, something else that is very, very different is that uh, community. When I talk about community back home, it's different. Let's say, for example, I'm getting married. I don't have money. That's not a problem. We usually call each other, hey, I have a wedding. Then we do what we call the pre-wedding. Pre-wedding is where people ca- or either call it pre-wedding or goat eating. So basically you're coming to celebrate, but you're like, hey guys, I'm getting married to this girl and you have to meet her, but I don't have money. Here's my budget. So people contribute towards my wedding. And so I'll do my wedding. People are going to support me. Uh, another sad thing uh, that I saw here uh, I lived in California for uh, maybe a year before I came to Georgia. There's a family that a wife lost her husband. On Sunday, I saw them in church. I started asking my host, why are they doing here? They just lost somebody. They're like, no, they're coming to church, you know, because uh, they're like, I'm like, no, we are the ones who are supposed to be going to their houses. Because for us, if somebody dies, we don't we don't give them space. Because at that point, they need all the love that they, that they can get. So for us, we go into their houses for maybe, actually, the day that somebody is announced that they have passed on, there's always going to be somebody in that house until the burial and a few days or weeks after that. And what that does is that it makes you think, hey, I'm not alone in this. This particular person, they lived their life and they had friends and I can see them. We come and contribute for their burial, uh, for their funeral uh, arrangement and everything that they need. We bring food to their family. And so some of these things, I haven't seen that one here. Just a little bit about the community that, that I, I can talk about. It's just being together, sharing with one another. And think about it. Most of what I'm talking about is people who are poor. And so mm-hmm. if you're poor, you can't even afford stuff for yourself. So you need somebody else to kind of hold each other's hand. And I think that's what has strengthened our community. I think here there's a sense of, hey, I have a job, I got my own money, I can provide for myself. So kind of, I don't even need you. You're kind of in my face. But for us, it's like, hey, for me to actually survive, I need you. I need mm. you. So you need me. So that has really strengthened our community. Jay, I'm writing a book right now about this. And it's about villages and how that's been what's held the fabric of the world together since the beginning of time. And even currently, a lot of the world does live in villages. And so when you look back at that, I mean, my hope is that we can create this if we're intentional, even in Atlanta and even in Dallas. Like we can build a village-type lifestyle here. What are some of the the key people that made up your community in your life? You talked about elders. I know I've done a little research on this, that that a lot of tribes have tribal elders that that people go to for wisdom and, and authority. Talk just a little bit about some of those roles that different people played, you know, your grandmother. What else? What other players kind of had a, a part in your life, even if that's peers or friends? Like, what did those people look like in your life? Let me start from the family. So the family itself, unless you don't have a father, 
but whether your father or your mother, those are the people, those are the leader of that family. And so, first of all, that's where it starts, because everything we have to understand, even in church, even before we talk about big gatherings and everything, everything has to start from the family. And so for us, it starts from the family. Uh, and then it goes to the older brother, older sister. Like That's how it starts. And and those are the, the leader in that house. If if dad is not there or mom is not there, then the older brother, older sister, just like that, depending on how old you are. And then when it goes and it gets out of the house, the other neighbors who are not your family members, but they're older than you, those, are, those they become the leader in that particular place. And then each and every community has, like you said, the community leaders who are tribal leaders, depending on uh, the region that you're from. There are some regions that are only only have like different tribes. Like in Kenya, if you if you tell me where you are in Kenya, where you are from in Kenya, I can almost tell you your tribe because people live according to their tribe, which whatever region they are from. So in those particular places, if if you're in that particular place, so there are community leaders or tribal leaders who have been elected or they've been selected, if, if there's any any confrontation, if there's anything that needs to be ta- tackled or anything that needs to be talked about the community, those are the people that you go to. So from the house, you go to, the, to your family, to your father and mother. Outside, you go to those community leaders. And those community leaders, they have power, they have authority, like you have to listen to them. Now, if you can't listen to the community leaders, is the government, uh, at the time, they had some somebody that called a chief. A chief was kind of in charge of that region. So if the, if you cannot listen to the leaders, then the chief is the final authority. You had like four to eight layers of leadership over you as a child. And you felt accountable to all of those people. Depending on where you are and depending on the issue, you, you're going to feel responsible to whoever. If it's something that is less, for example, for example there are people who, uh, burglaries, would come and steal. Somebody is arrested because the cops are far away, so the community leaders can literally come and because they know they know your your parents, they'll actually go to your parents and say, "Hey, your kids stole this and this and this. We need them to bring them back." So if it's outside that, those are gonna take care of that. And then if they get a hold of you, they'll take you to the chief. If you are able to return whatever you had stolen, they can actually let you go. But again, they can also take you to the cops and take you to the higher authority. So depending on where you are. Different leaders are going to handle whatever it is. I want to talk about your life in Atlanta because I know while it probably grieves you a little to not have that type of community in your life here, do you think it's possible? Are we ruined in America with too much and we've separated? Like, do you think we can intentionally choose this? And if so, how does your family do that? I think we can. Uh, I don't think there's anything that is impossible. It's just a matter of having people who are of one mind and we have one vision, one voice. Actually, a ministry that we have is called One Voice. But in Swahili, so it says Sauti Moja. And if you go to the Bible, uh, when those guys were building the Tower of Babel, right? That, that's what they were doing. They were speaking in one language. They were speaking in one in one voice. The moment a group of people come together and they are of one mind, like they are like, okay, now we have seen this working somewhere else. Can we all do them one in one mind and, and, and do this? Speak one language, speak one voice. It's possible. For us, how, because of being in, in Atlanta, like I say, it has so many people from different uh, countries and so different cultures and all that. It's, it's hard to impose something on other people. What we have done as, as, as Africans, as Kenyans who are here, we kind of have our own uh, community. It's not as big as back home, 
but we have our own community where we still try and keep some of those tradition like right now if uh, if somebody passes on even right now you have a way of contributing towards that even if they have life insurance if somebody is getting married we still come together you should come to one of uh, one of our one of our weddings when people have I would it. love it they are very traditional we still try and there's a way uh, the older women or women who've been married before they come and sing to the bride uh, as she walks in uh, like there are some things that we we are still maintaining while we're here it's a little bit challenging but again since we have our own community or we have our own churches we have our own kind of leaders it's not as defined as it was back then so we have a little bit of that so we have some of that going on but it's not as good as we want it to be I want to talk about your family and your ongoing relationship with Kenya and specifically with Compassion because we have a dream here at the podcast that in this short season that we are in the middle of right now that we would be able to sponsor a lot of kids. And I know, Jay, that has to be really near and dear to your heart. So why don't you just talk just a minute about why you believe in that so much? Well, I think for me, it's, that's it. That's it. That, that's the reason that I'm here right now. That's because of that. the family that I was in yes my family loved me so much and they wanted the best for me but the truth of the matter is that uh, when they had let me just use the dollar they would not debate whether they're going to buy food or they're going to take me to school for the most mm. part when I try and buy me food because that's the most urgent need as much as school is important that was the most urgent need and having many families going having to decide between a now need in a lifetime need it's not something that anybody should have i think people should be able to have that opportunity and because my family is not able to do that to me it doesn't mean i shouldn't have it and so having somebody somewhere to be like hey god has blessed me a little bit i i can spare a little bit and i and i know it's not like everybody is a millionaire i know people have to sacrifice especially at this particular time anybody deciding to sponsor now honestly it's it speaks more of their character more than how much they have because this is somebody who is like hey i probably i don't know how long i'm going to have my job some of them don't even have jobs but it goes to somebody who is like you know what i know i don't have what i would want to have but i can sacrifice something to sponsor a kid to help a kid because for me that was between life and death and i say that because the kids that i, I grew up in, within my community right now when i go back to kenya I go back and forth i can't find my kid the kids that i grew up with like the guys that I, i grew up with they're either in prison or they are dead and so for me this is personal because this is life for me i don't even want to think or imagine what could have happened if i didn't get an opportunity like this and so if you're listening if somebody is listening and i know you have your own problems i know you have your own needs just think of those kids who don't have the op- option of hey i can get a, a job at mcdonald i can get a job at walmart i can get a job like it's probably not the best job that you'd want to have but you have a job you have an option i grew up in a place where i didn't have an option literally my only option was either compassion or i don't make it and so for me compassion is a god thing and god brought compassion to my community at that particular time when i actually needed it and the opportunity presented itself and I grabbed it and I ran with it and that's how I'm alive right now and so there are kids right now who just like me probably this is the only opportunity that they have and so as you listen to 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 this podcast probably God is talking to you and is telling you hey 
for a minute can you just think about somebody else who you don't even know somebody who you may or may not never meet them but can you just do something at least for somebody who literally this is all they need for them to survive and for them to have a life and so it's personal to me because it saved my life jay thank you so much for being on today thank you so much i appreciate it Well, I do believe in child sponsorship. In fact, we have a whole little bulletin board in there of the kids we've sponsored and Compassion is one of those places we sponsor. And the reason why is because we believe in their mission, that they are about local churches and empowering local people to rise up in their communities, to love their communities and to bring healing to their communities. It is real. I have been on the ground with them and I believe in their work in a deep way. And so we want you to be part of this story. We want you to come alongside of Zach and I and to sponsor kids with us and what that looks like is we have a goal of finding 100 sponsors in this season of 100 children that they would be given the gift of an education and also being provided for in different ways. Compassion really looks at the community and brings life and hope into the community in different forms and fashions. And I just believe in that work so much. So what you do, you have two options. The first one is if you're listening, you can open up your phone right now. You can text 83393. That's eight. 83- 3393 and you're going to text the word Jenny J E N N I E to 83393 and they're going to text back a picture of a child and a link and you click that link and you follow the steps to start sponsoring and it's really simple so you can text right now 83393 and send my name Jenny J E N N I E to 83393 the second option is also easy and we're even adding some extra bonus content from the episode to a webpage so if you go to compassion.com backslash made for this You can see bonus video from the episode with more of my conversation with Jay. And then you can also choose the exact boy or girl that you want to sponsor. We actually have such a fun gift too. If you sponsor a kid using either of these links, you're going to get a free copy of Get Out of Your Head sent to you. And I know some of you already have it and this is might be for your friend or your neighbor that you can pass it on. But I just wanted to thank you in some way for being part of this story with us. We're so grateful and Compassion is so grateful. So Do not miss this opportunity. I just think it's fun too when we work together and we actually cause a lot of change for a lot of people together. So we sponsored our child from Rwanda. There's kids from Kenya. There's kids from all over the world. You can choose the country if you have a special connection to a country. Cooper Allen actually picked a little girl from Rwanda. So we've largely sponsored little boys in the past. So this is fun to have a little girl that has somewhat joined the Allen family from a distance. So involve your kids in this. And I just think it feels really important that in these times, that are difficult that we remember that the difficulties of other people and empathize with that as well so thanks guys for being part of this I know you enjoyed Jay's story as much as me it was incredible 